All right, my friends, today we are going to talk about the Great Reset. That's right, the Great Reset is an interesting topic if you ask the left, and even some people on the right, they'll tell you it's a conspiracy theory, but is it? Is it a conspiracy theory? What is it? We're going to talk about this today because it is a conversation worth having, and you might be surprised by what I have to say about it and what the reality of it is. Before we talk about that, though, I would be remiss if I didn't mention what a ridiculous person Anna Navarro from The View is. She was talking um, on Twitter, actually, about the Florida don't say gay bill. You remember this bill. We talked about it two weeks ago about what it actually is versus what the left says it is. Anna Navarro has come out against this bill. She is a Floridian. This is what she tweeted. It's the most, it, it's it's such a disingenuous tweet that that's why I need to address it. This is what she said. She said, quote, I have gay friends who as kids were beaten by parents trying to flog away the gay. One is the son of a now dead former Florida state senator. He berated and beat my friend mercilessly and shoved his head into the toilet bowl to, quote, straighten him out. I hope legislators reconsider this, end quote. Two things. First of all, what she just described is child abuse that is already illegal under the law. That is illegal and that's awful. It's abhorrent. And my heart aches for this child who was abused by his parent. Period. That's all there is to say. Nobody thinks that is right. However, what Ana Navarro is, Ana Navarro is doing is trying to make it seem like this is the norm, trying to make it seem like this bill in Florida, which actually just protects parental rights, protects the right of parents to know what's happening with their children in school, especially with their health care, their physical and mental health care. She's trying to make it seem like this would be the result or the, the common consequence of the bill. And that is just an abject, disgusting lie. It's an absolutely disgusting lie. Remember what this bill is. What this bill is, is it prohibits schools, public schools, from withholding information from parents. Meaning, in a lot of public schools across the country, there are provisions and rules that actually allow the school to deny a request from a parent if the parent requests the record of their minor child. This includes counseling, healthcare, and even if the child has socially transitioned in school. The school's allowed to withhold that from parents. So what this bill does in California, or not in California, in Florida, is it removes the school's ability to withhold information from parents and allows parents to exercise their parental rights. It prohibits school officials from not notifying parents of changes to their child's health care as associated or administered by the school. It prohibits school officials from discouraging students from telling their parents about their sexual activity. It prohibits school officials from discouraging parental involvement in health decisions. It prohibits the school district from encouraging classroom discussion about sexual orientation or gender identity in primary grade levels. That's the sentence that really gets the goat of liberals here. This, this is what this is what this bill does. So there was an amendment introduced to this bill. It was introduced um, by Joe Harding, who is a state representative in Florida, that would have required the school to notify a parent of if, if the school found out that the child was gay, it required the school to notify the parent and to notify them within six weeks. And this is why there was this enormous outcry from leftists on Twitter, including Anna Navarro, because they say, well, I had a friend who was abused when their parents found out. This is what I would say, two things. First of all, the, the amendment was not written well. It was it was written poorly. What, what it should say is if the school is taking part in any discussion, any care, any administrative, anything regarding a student's sexuality, then the parent needs to be notified. Moreover, 
a school should record everything they know about a student pertaining to the student's education, discipline, and healthcare. And that report should be accessible to parents. It should be sent to parents on a regular basis. And the third part of this is, why does the school know about the child's sexual orientation? Children are not sexual beings. Children in primary grades have not reached puberty yet. They shouldn't be discussing their sexual orientation. This shouldn't be something that the school knows. If the school actually knows because the child came to the school administration asking for some kind of help, then that, yes, should be told to the parents. The parents should know if the child is asking for physical or mental health care. So the left pretending that this amendment is something different than it is, or pretending that this bill is something different than it is, is absolutely dishonest. Should this amendment be written differently? Sure, you can make that argument. That's that's not a big deal to talk about the way that an amendment was written. And by the way, the sponsor of the amendment withdrew it in the face of the backlash. Okay, well, rewrite it, write it better and reintroduce it. The idea in and of itself is not problematic. The application of the language could be better honed. It could be sharpened. But the fundamental core of this, what the left wants you to forget, what they're trying to distract you from, is the fact that the public school on behalf of the state, sponsored by the Democratic Party, wants to diminish parental rights. They want to make it so that parents don't have dominion over their children, but the school district, meaning the state, has dominion over children. And so they lie to you about what this bill is. They know that this bill is a threat to their agenda because this bill is playing offense. This bill is saying, well, not only do we not want radical sex theory or critical sex theory taught to our children in school, we actually want parents to be the ones who decide what their children are educated with and what kind of sexual morals they are taught. And so we're going to make sure to protect parents' rights. This is playing offense. This is the Republicans doing what it takes to win this cultural battle. And that is why dishonest people like Anna Navarro are trying to pull at your heartstrings. They're using, she's using a horrific story. If it's true, it's horrific. She's using a horrific story and acting like that would be the result of this bill. And that, my friends, is a lie. Do not fall for it. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. All right, my friends, let's talk about the Great Resets. The Great Reset, you've probably heard the phrase, maybe you wondered, what is this? Is this something that's real? Is it a threat to me? Who's behind it? What's the goal? Basically, just what is the reality of this thing? So let's talk about that today. It's a really interesting topic. I have done a deep dive into what it is and um, who's behind it and whether we should be worried about it. We're going to talk about that in just a second. But first, let me talk to you about My Patriot Supplies. Supply. Friends, one of the biggest problems that all of us, all Americans, will face in 2022 is runaway food prices. I'm talking sky-high inflation. That's hitting everyone hard already. Imagine how much worse it's going to get. But I have a solution that you are going to love. Get yourself some long-term storage emergency food from My Patriot Supply, America's largest emergency food provider. Hands down, this is the most affordable way to buy emergency food. And this food is delicious. My husband and I keep emergency food in our basement because we are smart. We know how to we know how to prep. We can prep with the best of them. So get the 4-week emergency food kit too, which provides breakfast, lunch, dinner, drinks and snacks. Right now you can save $50 on each 4-week kit that you order if you go to my URL, which is preparewithliz.com. Preparewithliz.com. You can pick up one kit for each person in your family and then you can laugh at the sky-high food prices at the grocery store while we wait for, you know, Biden to be out of office. But don't wait. 
Go to preparewithliz.com right now. That's preparewithliz.com. You'll be glad you did. You will be providing and protecting for your family. Preparewithliz.com. Okay, the great reset. I've built this up a lot. So here we go. The great reset. What is it? Is it a conspiracy theory? Well, the great reset is pretty much exactly what it sounds like. It's the idea that on a global scale, not just in the United States, that there should be a reset to our economic system. Now, now maybe that sounds vague, so let's be very specific, that there should be a global reset to capitalism. It's actually this, this theory that capitalism is outdated, that capitalism can no longer work, and that we instead need not socialism, but a more managerial elite class of corporatists well, ruling over us and our economy. So when people say the Great Reset, it's easy to think, okay, Marxism, okay, communism, okay, socialism. It's not exactly either of those three things. It's actually the most similar analogy that I can draw to what this would look like if this came to the United States, if the Great Reset happened on our free market economic system, is the Great Reset is something like Chinese communism. Because Chinese communism isn't, exactly socialism. It isn't exactly communism because there's no collective ownership. I would define Chinese communism as control without, without the ownership. And that's, what, that's essentially what the Great Reset is. It's control of everything, but especially of economic bodies or economic entities. But it's not, it's not government ownership and it's also not collective ownership. So that, that's my definition of what the Great Reset is. But to understand truly the reality of what this is, not just some vague theory that I've attempted to describe to you, we need to look at who's behind this. Whose idea was this? How does the person behind this define this? So the person behind this is named Klaus Schwab. Many of you I know have heard of him. We've discussed Klaus Schwab. There's been comments about him on the Liz Wheeler Show community on Local. So many of you I know are familiar with it. He is the founder of the World Economic Forum. Now, the World Economic Forum bills themselves as a nonprofit group in Switzerland, actually. You probably have heard of Davos, where all the rich elitists who claim that they care about climate change, they fly their private jets in. Yeah, that Davos, that World Economic Forum hosts Davos. And Klaus Schwab is the founder of the World Economic Forum. Now, this guy is a total nutcase. He is incredibly wealthy. He's incredibly nutty. He wants to reshape the entire world into a like a George Soros type of image. He He's a globalist. He doesn't believe in natural, nat national sovereignty. He doesn't believe in borders. And he does believe in this, this hybrid control, but not ownership, kind of socialism, kind of communism, mostly just fascism, type of economic system. And he wants that to happen all over the world. And so what he does is at Davos, they go and they talk about economic theory, these really rich people, you know, from, from the leaders of the World Health Organization to John Kerry, to Leonardo DiCaprio, all these different, these wealthy people from all these different industries from all around the world go and they talk about this. And Klaus Schwab is essentially indoctrinated these people into his idea that we need a great reset. He has, he has, deputize them into taking the tenants, the principles of the Great Reset, which we're going to get to, obviously, um, into their various countries to try to make this happen. So in his own words, in, in June of 2020, Klaus Schwab wrote a fairly comprehensive article, which I encourage you, after you're done listening to this podcast, go read it for yourself. <laughs> Don't take my word for it. Go read it for yourself. 
he wrote a pretty comprehensive article about what, how he would define the Great Reset, what it is, how he wants to make that happen, and what he thinks the ultimate result of the Great Reset would be on the United States and other countries. And this, this is what he said in June of 2020. I'm just going to read you a couple snippets of this to give you a to give you fuller context. He said, quote, to achieve a better outcome, the world must act jointly and swiftly to revamp all aspects of our societies and, and economies, from education to social contracts and working conditions. He says, in short, we need a great reset of capitalism. Again, so when I described it to you, I'm essentially just using Klaus Schwab's words. This is what he says himself. He says, every country from the United States to China must participate in every industry from oil and gas to tech must be transformed. Again, in short, we need a great reset of capitalism. He said, the first, he's talking about what, what the first steps are, the first components. He goes, the first would steer the market towards fairer outcomes. Now, we've talked enough about, I'm going to interrupt his quote for a second. You and I have talked enough about the difference between equity and equality to know that when someone is striving for fairer outcomes, that's like a little red flag for us to be like, ooh, that's equity. That's not equality. So he says, you know, this first component of the Great Reset steers the market toward fairer outcomes. He says, to this end, governments should improve coordination, for example, in tax, regulatory, and fiscal policy. Ooh, equity in fiscal policy and tax policy. That doesn't sound good. Upgrade trade agreements, he said, and create the conditions for a stakeholder economy. That is a very key word here, stakeholder economy. It sounds well, kind of euphemistic. It sounds kind of neutral. It sounds kind of boring, but uh, it's very, very critical. We're going to talk about what that is in a minute. He said, at a time of diminishing tax bases and soaring public debt, governments have a powerful incentive to pursue such action. Moreover, governments should implement long overdue reforms that promote more equitable outcomes. Depending on the country, these may include changes to wealth taxes, the withdrawal of fossil fuel subsidies, and new rules governing intellectual property, trade, and competition. So let's take that phrase for a second. By the way, the reason that these are very key phrases to describe what the Great Reset is, is because this is the guy who created the idea of it. This is the guy who's using his incredibly powerful club of very rich politicians and corporate leaders around the world to actually try to enact this. Um, and so he uses this phrase, stakeholder economy. Now, what does he mean when he says stakeholder economy? First, we have to say, well, what is our economy right now? Our economy right now is what's called a shareholder economy. Or I know that that can have a derogatory, a derogatory connotation. I don't mean it derogatorily. But people who are against capitalism call our economic, our economic system a shareholder economy because what they mean by that is that corporations are acting in the interests of their shareholders. Again, they say it in a derogatory manner, as in you don't care about the world, you don't care about social justice causes, you only care about the profit for your shareholders. Now, that's the derogatory view. The not derogatory view, the mutually beneficial view is, yeah, you care about your shareholders and you care about profit because that keeps them happy, but it's also a mutually beneficial thing to bring a good or service to market that benefits someone else so that you can both profit and you can bring something that profits them. And our shareholder economy, by the way, in the last hundreds of years, have benefited literally billions of people, hundreds of millions of people here in the United States and billions around the world. So the idea that to be loyal first and foremost to the market, the idea that that's an immoral thing or a bad thing, 
is just ignorant. That's it's it's naive or it's it's just ahistorical. It doesn't line up with the reality of what we've seen in our country because to be loyal to the quote unquote market isn't loyal, isn't being loyal to something abstract. It's being loyal to supply and demand. It's being loyal to the supply or creating a supply to meet the demand of things that people want and things that people need. Whether whether this is goods that are luxuries, whether this is services like healthcare that improve the life the lives of the people and therefore the prosperity of our country, this is a good thing. A shareholder economy is not derogatory when you actually discover or explore what it is. So what they want to do is they want to change this idea of a shareholder economy to a stakeholder economy. Well, they do this just by changing a phrase slightly. Maybe a lot of people wouldn't even wouldn't even see that when you're reading it. You don't even notice it per se. But what they mean by a stakeholder economy is they want to define what's important. They want to define or regulate where your loyalties as a business must lie. They want to say, it's not just your shareholders and your and the consumer that you must take into account. It's these other policy initiatives that we have deemed important that have stakes in your business. So for example, let's not be vague. They think that climate change should have a stake in your business decisions. They think that racial equity, not equality, equity should have a stake in your in your business decisions. They think all of these social justice causes should be should have equal footing at when you're deciding how to run your business as the demands of your consumers or, you know, the demands of your of your shareholders. So this is a very this phrase is very telling about the great reset. Because the great reset wants to reset capitalism as we know it and replace it with what? They want to replace it with a, an economy or an economic system where it's not it's not based on the market it's based on stakeholders stakeholders as defined the stakes that they're talking about are very leftist social justice policies so this is as i said this is kind of a a definition of what is the great reset and you have to understand who's behind it and how he defines it to understand what it is now this sounds far away you know the world economic forum like who cares about the World Economic Forum in Switzerland? Do they have any any impact over our lives? And the answer to that, unfortunately, is yes, they do. They have a tremendous influence over our lives. And part of the part of the influence or the power they have over our lives is simply just influence. Because they are a club of very wealthy people, they have a lot of politicians in their pocket. And there's really no better example of this than Biden. Biden being the president of the United States is very intricately tied to Klaus Schwab and Klaus Schwab's ideology. In fact, one of Biden's um, key proposals as president is actually copy and paste of a proposal of Klaus Schwab. We're going to talk about that in just a second. But first, I want to talk to you about GenuCell. Now, now, before you skip the ad, I know you guys do this sometimes. I'll look at the analytics. Just take a listen to this one. Gentlemen, you know how your wives use your razor when you're not looking? Well, yes. Likewise, we ladies know that you, our husbands, use our skincare products when we are not looking. It's okay. I don't blame you. But let me introduce you to Genucel. Now, bags and puffiness under the eyes are a problem for millions of American women and men until now. Introducing the new Genucel serum with plant stem cell technology for under eye bags and puffiness. Susan from New Jersey wrote, I've been using Genucel for a couple months. The puffiness around my eyes is gone. Even the crow's feet and small lines have disappeared and haven't come back. I love your product. I use it under my eyes, around my cheekbones, and on my eyelids. With Genucel's instant effects, you will see results in the first 12 hours or your money back. I guarantee it. If you order now, you can 
save big on Genucel's risk-free introductory offer. Just go to genucel.com slash Liz. Genucel.com slash Liz. Use my URL. Order now and save using my special promo code, which is also Liz, L-I-Z, to save an extra 10% off your order today. Go to genucel.com slash Liz. That's G-E-N-U-C-E-L.com slash Liz and use promo code Liz for an extra 10% off your order. Okay, so the influence of Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum over very powerful people around the world, the primary example of this, or the most dangerous example of this to you and I, is Joe Biden. So Joe Biden's biggest proposal yet, which fortunately at least crossed fingers at this time is dead, is Build Back Better. Build Back Better is his, his, keynote, his keynote offering here. Well, the interesting thing is this phrase, Build Back Better, Biden did not invent that phrase. If you do the nerdy deep dive into the Great Reset and Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum and the publications and speeches of this man as he describes his agenda for the world and for the United States, you will find that he literally uses the phrase build back better to describe massive government programs that are, and this is a great tie-in from a couple days ago, that are tied into the idea that governments should print as much money as they need when they are the issuer of the currency. Remember, we just talked about modern monetary theory and how that radical economic theory holds that debt and deficit don't matter. It's just a historical record of how much was spent on programs. But you don't need to ask, government officials don't need to ask, how do I pay for this legislation? You just print the money, print the money and pay for it. Well, Klaus Schwab, it will be no surprise to you, is a supporter of this theory. And he terms, or he he has labeled Um, his support for these big government spending programs that rely on funding from modern monetary theory as Build Back Better. The coincidence, I tell you, the coincidence here. It's not a coincidence, of course. It's because Biden is very close to him. And you can can prove this because it's, it's easy to say, well, Biden maybe just committed a copyright infringement. He's certainly been known to do that in the past. And yes, he has. But it's not just copyright because Biden also has the Biden Institute at the University of Delaware. And the Biden Institute at the University of Delaware, um, guess who's an advisor to that institute? Yeah, Klaus Schwab from the World Economic Forum. Um, Biden also has close ties with three prominent members of the World Economic Forum, meaning the Biden administration has close ties with three um, with three of these board members that work for Klaus Schwab. I mean, the the intertwining web here is... Well, I mean, it's far more than a coincidence. You'd have to be deliberately ignoring reality to think that it that it was anything other than, yeah, Biden buys into Klaus Schwab's idea that we need to reset our free market capitalist system and replace it with, you know, a quote-unquote stakeholder economy. Now, it's not just Biden. John Kerry is also a um, is also a big supporter of the Great Reset. In fact, John, this is a quote from John Kerry himself. I don't even want to describe his views. He can say it in his own words. This is what he said, quote, This is a big moment. The World Economic Forum, the CEO capacity of the forum, is really going to have to play a front and center role in refining the Great Reset to deal with climate change and inequity, all of which is being laid bare as a consequence of COVID-19, end quote. Such a short sentence encapsulating so much. It encapsulates John Kerry's views that COVID-19 is a perfect opportunity for governments to well, take over their countries or to implement. I mean, we see what's happening in Canada and here. I don't have to explain that to you. We can, we're all experiencing this. They are using COVID-19, this emergency, as an excuse. They'll, they'll violate your rights to keep you safe. They will consolidate 
power, centralized power, and oh, just to keep you safe from this virus. These, these people who want to reset our economy understand a crisis when they see one. Um, John Kerry himself admitted that, that he wants to use the Great Reset, this idea of stopping free market capitalism to address his preferred social justice issues, whether that be climate change or inequity. These are the people, these are the people who are trying to bring this idea, this great reset here to our country. And it's not just politicians in our country. Prince Charles is also a member of the World Economic Forum and a, and a supporter of the great reset. Um, the UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, he is as well. Um, there are CEOs of international corporations and nonprofits who are part of this. The executive director of Greenpeace International, the International Monetary Fund. I mean, these people, the CEO of BP, um, the MasterCard CEO, president of Microsoft, Al Gore. Of course, Al Gore, that one shouldn't surprise you. Of course, he's involved in something like this. Um, these people are all committed to this idea of dismantling our free market economy and bringing this this fascism, if you will, this this control, this what will result certainly in authoritarianism, even if it doesn't look like that coming through the door, they are um, committed to to this great reset. So by this time, you might be saying, okay, where did this come from, though? Klaus Schwab is about 100 years old at this time. This idea, this idea that he has for replacing our economy with something else, where did it come from? Well, it actually isn't new. It's it's a repackaged idea that he's simply bringing to the surface again. And it's actually, you, so you know how we've talked about, this is going to be a little tangential, but I think it's important. You know how I talk all the time incessantly about the administrative state and how the administrative state came to being or came to fruition. It reared its ugly head a lot recently, but the ideas for this were brought brought to the public, if you will, or became popular under Woodrow Wilson in the 1920s. But when the ideas themselves were introduced in the 1920s by Woodrow Wilson, it didn't take hold. This wasn't this wasn't a transformative thing that happened when Woodrow Wilson introduced it. It wasn't until FDR and LBJ and their New Deal and Great Society programs that the idea of the administrative state that had been introduced just philosophically by Woodrow Wilson came to fruition. That being said, you've heard me say that probably 10 times by now. That being said, this is actually very similar, the Great Reset. So this idea for the Great Reset is coming to fruition now, or they are attempting to bring it to fruition, but it's not philosophically a, a new idea. It's actually a repackaging of an old idea from the 1940s, believe it or not, under FDR. The man that wrote the New Deal under FDR, his name is Stuart Chase, he introduced this idea of dismantling our free market capitalist system and introducing what he called a managerial state, um, where, again, it's not that the state owns all the means of production and distribution. It's not that there's a collectivist or a collective ownership either. It's that the state just controls everything, which, I mean, you can argue that that's ownership, but the technicality is the important thing here. So Stuart Chase called this um, System X. He didn't have a clever name. I mean, that sounds like something you would get out of a Bond film. So I don't think that that's a very, I don't think that's a very clever name, but he didn't ask me. I wasn't born then. Um, this, this Great Reset is basically a repackaged System X, which is important to understand because this has been an idea that's been planted in the intellectual elite or the leftist, the leftist, uh, intellectuals um, for the last almost 100 years now. And if you look at some of the characteristics that Stuart Chase wrote about System X, then you'll see like, oh yeah, that's exactly what the, that's exactly what the left is trying to do right now. So these are some of the characteristics. I'm not going to read all of them. You can just Google it yourself, look up Stuart Chase's. It's, it's a whole book that he wrote, but it is worth it if you want to understand it. These are a few of the characteristics. 
of System X, a strong centralized government, an executive arm growing at the expense of the legislative and judicial arms in some countries, power is consolidated in a dictator, control of banking, underwriting of employment by the government, underwriting of social security by the government, underwriting of food by the government, abandonment of gold, control of natural resources, control of energy sources, control of transportation, control of agriculture and labor organizations, heavy taxation, um, and state control of communications, essentially a propaganda arm. So you see all this and you're like, oh, bam, mind blown. This is exactly what, exactly what, well, the Great Reset is. The Great Reset doesn't advocate for a violent takeover or the immediate, an immediate brutal dictatorship. They don't advocate bluntly for Marxism or socialism or capitalism, but they do advocate for all of these things that defined System X. They advocate for all of these things to happen so that they can control every aspect of our society. It, it, will, it will ultimately be authoritarianism or fascism. Um, and so, again, it's really important to know that this isn't something that was recently invented. This isn't a new idea. This is just a repackaged, renamed idea that was written down in the 1940s during the age, in our country at least, of the burgeoning administrative state of big government of, well, anti-capitalist forces trying to take down the United States and centralize power in, in the elite few. And so now we get to the point, okay, so we understand what they want. There are a lot of people that want a lot of nutty things, but is this actually a threat to our country? Is this something that they're going to achieve? How are they going about trying to achieve this, trying to bring this to our country? And we're going to talk about that in just a second. But first, we're going to talk about stamps.com. If you've got a small business, and I know a lot of you do, you know that there's nothing more valuable than your time. So stop wasting your time on trips to the post office. Nobody likes the post office. Stamps.com makes it easy to mail and ship right from your computer. You can save time and money with Stamps.com. What could be better? Send letters and packages for less with discounted rates from USPS, UPS, and more. Stamps.com brings the services of the post office and UPS shipping right to your computer. So whether you're in office sending invoices, a side hustle Etsy shop, or a full-blown warehouse shipping out orders, stamps.com will make your life easier. All you need is a computer and a standard printer, no special supplies or equipment. Within minutes, you are up and running, printing official postage for any letter, any package, anywhere you want to send. And by the way, did I mention that you'll get exclusive discounts on postage and shipping from USPS and UPS? Once your mail is ready, all you do is schedule a pickup or drop it off. No traffic, no lines. There's also no risk. And with my promo code, Liz, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in L-I-Z. That's stamps.com, promo code Liz, and then you never have to go to the post office again. Okay, so now we understand the what it is of the Great Reset, the who is behind it, and how they define it. I like to always believe the left when they say that they are going to fundamentally transform our country or force us to do anything. They generally mean it. Um, we understand what exactly they want to shift our economy from a free market economy to a, a controlled entity. We understand that this isn't a new idea. It's just blossoming again under a different name, that it was something from the 1940s. It is um, now something that we are facing, but is it a threat to us? Now, in order to answer, is it a threat to us? We have to look at how they're achieving it. Cause like I said, there are a lot of nuts that want to do a lot of nutty things to the United States, but a lot of them aren't really an existential threat to our functioning Republic constitutional Republic, but is the great reset 
a threat? Well, let's look at how they're achieving it. So a couple of ways that they're achieving it are, are classic liberal strategies, one being never let a crisis go to waste. And they're doing that with COVID-19, sure, of course they are. We can we can see that before our eyes. I mean, we all had businesses closed down. We all faced vaccine mandates. We all weren't allowed to go to church. We all had free speech um, stifled, yada, yada, yada. We don't have to go through all of that again. That's that's a whole show worth worth of content. Um, they, they certainly are willing and able to use any crisis that spontaneously or not occurs. But the bigger picture here is that this is this is their strategy overall with climate change. Then, and climate change is very similar actually to COVID-19 in the strategic sense. That with COVID-19, we were told a virus is going to kill you. With climate change, we were told economic disaster is going to kill you. With COVID, we were told if you don't give the government your freedom, you will die. With climate change, we're told if we don't give the government our freedom, everyone will die. Then we have moving goalposts from public health elites with COVID. We have moving goalposts with climate apocalypse or climate criers who preach the apocalypse, but it doesn't actually ever happen. And yet they claim that it's just new data that's informing, that it's informing new predictions that we still need to turn over all of our freedom and liberty to them. So you can see these parallels. They're the same sort of strategy from the left. So this is one of the ways that they are achieving the idea of the Great Reset is they want in a stakeholder economy, stakeholder being the bad kind, they want companies and corporations to have to incorporate climate change and the radical policies that the left defines as being part of climate change, meaning their climate change agenda, into, into the operational decisions of these companies. So think of climate change, though. We're not just talking about a changing, a changing temperature or gradually warming, gradually cooling. No, we're talking about climate change as defined by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's Green New Deal, where everything, everything from universal basic income to socialized medicine to wealth taxes to prohibitions on traveling by airplane and eating red meat and everything under the sun is included. Everything on the liberal wish list is included in the Green New Deal. This is this is the climate change agenda that I'm talking about when I'm talking about how these radical leftists want to force both the public sector, meaning our government, but also the private sector to take into account the stakeholder in, in, in this new revamped economy after the Great Reset. As you can see, it is literally just a medium to force their agenda items all over in our country. So that's the first thing. The second thing is the way that they the way that they achieve this monetarily. I know the Green New Deal has stalled for right now because you can't have what a 90 trillion dollar price tag on something and present it to the American people in the way that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez did. It's too much of a sticker shop for the people, not for the politicians. They supported it, but for the people. And so this is this is another another way that they are pushing this agenda is through the modern monetary theory. This idea that government just prints prints out the wahoo and funds their agenda items that way. So they're they're using a crisis to justify grabbing power from us. They are printing money to fund their solutions to the problems that really aren't the problems. And the way that they are inserting themselves or infiltrating the private sector is through the banking system. Now, what do I mean by this? When I say that they are using the banking system, I mean that as defined by the United Nations in 2015, their 
is something called SDG. Now, this stands for Sustainable Development Goals. Now, Sustainable Development Goals is a vague name for pretty much exactly what I just talked about with these with the idea that climate change isn't just about changing temperatures, but it's about these leftist agenda items. That's kind of what um, sustainable development goals are. And the leftists who are proponents of the Great Reset want to force sustainable development goals in the form of a, well, it's really a social credit score, in the form of a credit score for businesses um, to determine whether that business is operating at the standards that these leftists want them to be operating at. So the, the credit score that I'm talking about isn't, is different than what we understand to be a credit score. It's, it's more similar to the Chinese social credit score. But what the great resetters are calling it is they're calling it ESG metrics, meaning environmental, social, and governmental metrics. And these metrics are essentially a laundry list of social justice causes, racial equity, gender equity, climate change, collectivism, all of these different metrics. And this, this rating is based on how well the company adheres to these metrics. Now, here's the thing. This is not a hypothetical structure that I'm talking about. When I'm talking about ESG metrics, meaning that it is this social credit score for private businesses, this is already something that exists. They have already, the great resetters have already successfully infiltrated our banking systems to implement ESGs. In fact, you could probably look at your own bank. If you bank at one of the big banks in our country, you should look at your own bank and see if they participate in ESG metrics because they probably do. They probably do. And these are just as, well, Orwellian, dystopian, as you would imagine. They are a metric that forces private businesses to prioritize liberal policy if they want to take place in the marketplace. Because what does a social credit score do? It enables the controlling party, meaning the government, to punish you if you are not adhering to their standards. And so if a business is forced to adhere to certain standards and they fall short of those standards, then the government can penalize them by preventing them from taking part in the market. So this is a way of controlling private business without actually having technical ownership over it. And again, this is already happening. There are 200, over 200 of the biggest banking institutions around the world have already committed to these ESGs, these environmental, social, and governmental metrics to be rated and to rate anybody who does business with them on these metrics. Yeah, if this, if, if this sounds crazy, it's because it is absolutely bananas that this could happen that this is happening, that this will continue to happen if we don't put a stop to this. So the, the, the point that I'm trying to make here is, is the Great Reset a threat to the United States? And the answer to that is we have to look at how they, how the left is trying to achieve it in our country to know whether it's a threat. They are trying to achieve it by exploiting emergencies or crises, by modern monetary theory, just printing and spending to fund their agenda items. They have infiltrated the banking system, which impacts, I mean, business loans. Think about that. Think about if you are a small business and you try to get a loan from one of these banks to start your business, but you are, you have a poor rating on the ESG metric, then you could not have a loan. They could keep you from participating in the market. I mean, this is, this is so fundamental. Our banking system is so fundamental to each and every one of our lives. It's not just a matter of, oh, they'll freeze your bank account which is bad enough, or that they'll take your money, which would be draconian enough, they can actually stop you from participating in the market. This is the ultimate form 
of government control. And it is actually happening right now in the United States. So how, how do we stop this? How do we prevent this from fully engulfing our country? How do we cut this off at the pass before it's too late? I've said a million times, preventative medicine is better because once something has manifested, once symptoms begin to um, begin to show themselves, it's a lot harder to make whatever illness it is go away. And that that is true for this as well. So there's a couple things that we can do to stop the Great Reset from happening, even though they already have their clutches on our politicians, on, you know, on business members of Wall Street, on big businesses. We can do a couple of things. We can make sure that we abolish modern monetary theory. If we are able to do that, then they won't have any way to fund their agenda items. We talked about this earlier in the week. Maybe this would require a balanced budget amendment. Maybe this is something we should be talking about a lot and with a lot greater passion and strength. We do need a balanced budget in order, a balanced budget amendment in order to abolish modern monetary theory. Um, we also, President Trump, actually, this is something he doesn't get a lot of credit for. A lot of people don't know this, but in the final months of his presidency, he implemented what's called the Fair Access to Financial Markets. It's a rule. And it essentially abolished the use of ESGs, environmental, social, and governmental metrics, and created a legal framework that required financial institutions to base their decisions about giving people loans on not on social justice issues, just on whether that individual is a risk, basically just the financial aspects of a loan. And this is something that we need to do. It must be done, though, not at the administrative level, not at the executive order level, because what happens when you, you know, do that is that the next administration can overturn it. And that's exactly what happened. The Biden administration, one of the first things that they did is they overturned this. This hadn't it, the rule had been written, but it hadn't been implemented yet. And the Biden administration overturned it before it was implemented. So Congress needs to abolish ESGs. We also need to fight woke corporatism. We need as consumers, when our banks, our financial institutions, our investment firms, any, any, any of these places that have embraced ESGs, um, we need to hold them accountable as consumers and say, we're not going to take part in your business if you are going to take part in, in this controlling mechanism, take part in essentially the great, the great reset. And finally, and this is, this is a constant in conservatism. This is the basis of conservatism. And we understand why we need it when we talk about things like the Great Reset, is we need to make sure that we limit the power of the federal government, that we limit it as tightly as we can, that we understand that the role of the federal government must have just enumerated powers, that it can't have broad, sweeping, vague, vaguely defined authority over us or this type of thing happens, that the role of the federal government is to protect us physically, protect our borders from enemies, foreign and domestic, and to protect our individual rights. And that should be it. The federal government, that's all the power that the federal government should have. Because when the federal government has great power, they have great power to abuse. And the Great Reset is a perfect example of that. The Great Reset is a threat to our country. It is real. It's happening, and we must put a stop to it. Fortunately, we have the power to do that. Um, on that note, I have a new promo code for you today. These promo codes are killing me. My staff is um, doing a great job with these promo codes. For locals, of course, if you want to join us at the Liz Wheeler Show community on locals, my promo code today is no resets. Go to lizwheelershow.com slash locals. Use the promo code no reset for one month free on your annual subscription. That is one month free on your annual subscription. You know all the stuff that we talk about over there. I try out my ideas. We talked about the Great Reset, actually, 
already over on the Liz Wheeler Show community on Locals and anybody over there, all the VIPs had lots of thoughts about it. Come and join us. Tell me your thoughts um, on this and many other things. LizWheelerShow.com slash locals. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is the Liz Wheeler Show. The Liz Wheeler Show is produced by Jonathan Hay. Executive producer, Chad Abbott. Director of photography, Kevin McRoberts. Editor, Alejandro Figuerilla. Sound mixer, Robin Fenderson. Director of marketing, Emily Washler. Production and talent coordinator, Matt Toffler. And senior publicist, Patricia Jackson. This has been a Soundfront production.